Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fast Pass, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. I am Chris. I am Jason. And I'm Megan. As you may or may not remember, I hosted an episode in February that dealt with the origins of gangs in America, which is something I suggest you catch up on if you haven't already. But in it, I briefly talked about the extensive and brutal race riots that ravaged America in the early 1900s. Among those many, many, many that I mentioned, one in particular is a race riot that I feel everyone must know. And so we're going to talk about it today. This is the story of Black Wall Street and the Tulsa Massacre. Now, before we get to the inevitable disaster, we first want to highlight Black Wall Street's origins and its rise to being one of the wealthiest cities in the United States of America. Black Wall Street is the nickname of a small district in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Greenwood. Greenwood originally had always belonged to Native American tribes up until 1906. However, the United States government was planning on acquiring Oklahoma, and so that process began in 1887 with the Dawes Act, which basically said the president has the right to kick natives off their own land. And in 1906, the residing Native Americans were officially kicked off the land. So up until that time, and a bit after that had happened, land in Oklahoma was hot, it was fresh, it was up for grabs for new settlers. African Americans who were either once slaves of the natives in the past or honorary members of those tribes had stayed behind and kept Greenwood as their own territory. Greenwood then soon became a sanctuary to neighboring African Americans who were trying to escape the harsh realities of the Jim Crow era. So, many African Americans down south would get the word out that there was a new all-black neighborhood in Tulsa and move there for refuge. The neighboring white residents uh, then began to call that part of the district, quote, Little Africa, unquote. Now, as stated previously, Oklahoma was a brand new state around this time and was a place full of untapped resources and vast land to make a lot of money off of. Mm -hmm. With the emergence of a brand new black neighborhood full of former slaves, Wealthy black business owners saw this as an opportunity to help their people finally establish themselves in this foreign land to gain the wealth their ancestors had been stripped of. So now we get to a man named O.W. Gurley. O.W. Gurley was a black man from Arkansas, the son of slaves, and who also, after resigning from working under President Grover Cleveland in the late 1800s, had decided to begin his endeavor into land ownership. So, in 1889, he found his way to Oklahoma to acquire some land. While he was there, he met with another wealthy black landowner named J.B. Stratford, and these two men helped take Greenwood and transformed it into what we know as Black Wall Street. They built grocery stores, schools, churches, factories, movie theaters. They put thousands of homeless and refugee black Americans to work. And among everything they built, the Gurley Hotel was one of the most prominent structures, rivaling some of the best white hotels in the entire state of Oklahoma. As more black workers poured in, a sudden discovery of massive amounts of oil in the area caused the wealth of Greenwood to explode exponentially and made JB and OW extremely wealthy. Using those profits to benefit the community and help fight voter suppression in the state, which was becoming exceedingly prevalent. And now their wealth gave them a voice, and with a voice you have power, and with that newfound power, it only seemed to make neighboring towns grow in animosity. There was even a time where O.W. Gurley had po purchased a first-class ticket on a train in Oklahoma, and he was asked to move to the back of the train, to the black-only section. Now, he refused, but he was arrested and he was tried. Luckily, he was acquitted, and so he ended up suing, but he failed. In spite of everything, Greenwood was booming in wealth, 
so much so that it caught the eye of a prominent black leader, Booker T. Washington, who gave Greenwood the nickname Black Wall Street, highlighting its wealth and power and dethroning its previous nickname, Little Africa. Unity, solidarity, and joy rang through the city. Generational wealth was being created. Families who were once in chains owned businesses that rivaled their former masters. It seemed to only go up for the residents of Greenwood. But I'm afraid that's as grand as the story gets. Now we get to what would be known as the deadliest racial massacre in American history. It all begins in late May of 1921, Memorial Day. In town is a young teenage boy named Dick Rowland. Now, Dick had dropped out of high school and afterwards went straight to work as a shoe shiner in a white-owned shine shop. Now, because of strict segregation laws, Dick wasn't allowed to use the restroom in his own job. So he had to trek downtown to the nearest colored bathroom in a place called the Drexler Building in downtown Oklahoma. On May 30th, as he entered the Drexler, he made his way to the elevator, being that the bathroom was on the top floor. The elevator doors opened, and upon entering, Roland lost his footing, tripped as he f- and as he fell, accidentally grabbed onto the elevator operator's arm to not fall. This would be a fatal mistake. The elevator operator was known as Sarah Page, and she began to scream frantically. Roland knew that only bad things would arrive from a frightened white woman, so he ran from the building. A clerk had seen Roland running from the building and immediately called the police. Roland was found and arrested the next morning. Little did anyone know what would happen in just 24 hours. The story was huge around Tulsa. The local newspaper had released an issue titled, quote, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in Elevator, end quote. Claiming that Roland had viciously attacked and raped Sarah Page and fled the scene, angry white mobs began to form at the courthouse where Roland was being held, most armed with weapons. Upon hearing the commotion, the residents of Greenwood were not prepared to let Roland be murdered without due process, and so a militia of armed black men arrived at the courthouse to defend it. The sheriff, noticing how hot tensions were getting, had stepped in finally and convinced the black men that Roland would be safe and the mob would be dispersed. The men took the sheriff by his word and they were about to leave when suddenly shots had fired and fighting began between both mobs. The African-American group of people were successful in their defense at first, but when word of the fight spread, white people from neighboring towns anxiously poured in for an onslaught that was unprecedented. Around 1 a.m. as they poured into Greenwood, they began setting fire to businesses at the southern tip of the district. By 4 a.m., two dozen businesses were on fire, slowly burning to the ground. Around 5 a.m., an all-out onslaught on Greenwood ensued, and the white reinforcements fired off on any black person in sight. They broke into stores, hotels, and even residential homes where startled families were told to leave their house at gunpoint. Airplanes owned by rival business owners sailed across the sky, carrying white rioters who dropped firebombs and rained bullets upon the townspeople below. The founder of the city of Tulsa, an active Klan member, W. Tate Brady, was even there, slaughtering the people who resided and built up his town. And after the homes had burned and the bomber planes had landed, green wood was left to only ashes. 150 to 300 African Americans were dead. More than 800 were hospitalized, and about 10,000 were left homeless. And the property damage had amounted to nearly $33 million in today's money. No one was prosecuted, the property was never recovered, 
and the survivors were never compensated. Many survivors left Oklahoma altogether, including Dick Rowland, who left for California. Some residents stayed, but the history of the event was meticulously left out of Oklahoma books, papers, and any form of records in Oklahoma, and subsequently throughout the country. Governor James B.A. Robertson had called the state's attorney general to build a case for the incident to indict the people responsible, but an all-white jury would end up faulting the black mob, air quotes, and acquitting the case 27 times. Hmm. The homeless black residents who remained spent the winter of that year in tents as rebuilding didn't seem promising. The story of this tragedy would have been completely forgotten if it were not for a survivor. Mary E. Jones Parrish, who tirelessly tracked down photos, videos, interviews, and other bits of information and documented them and published them in her book, which became the first book about the massacre in 1922, called Events of the Tulsa Disaster. Also, people like Reverend S.S. Jones, who recorded the events as it happened, helped give irrefutable proof of its demise. He owned a church called Mount Zion Baptist Church, which was a safe haven during the riot. In, ni- in 1971, survivors conven- reconvened there for a memorial service for Greenwood. And it wasn't until 1996, 75 years after the massacre had happened, when the Tulsa Race Riot Commission, later named the Tulsa Race Massacre Commission, would be formed by Oklahoma to investigate the massacre that took place in Greenwood and prepare an official report on what had happened. The commission swept through all of its available resources to piece together this story, and thanks to it, we are able to tell you the story today. The commission recommended the state give back immediately to any remaining survivors, but the state ultimately fell short of its promise. It's the most American sentence I've seen. And the rest is fucked. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Chris, so much for coming back and teaching us again more history. Yeah. Which everyone should learn. I mean, it yeah. should be in our textbooks. I was telling them before, um, my mom was asking, like, oh, why are people protesting? And I was like, mom, people have been massacred before. And she's like, what do you mean? And I, I mentioned the Tulsa massacre, and she didn't even know what that was because it right. wasn't in her education. Right. I mean, if you don't know stuff like this, you know, you're susceptible to say things like that. And it's all about learning. You yep. know what I mean? I mean, wait until you guys one day know about Willie Brown and the uh, Omaha massacre. That's a whole nother thing. You know, race riots like this happened so much throughout the early 1900s. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of innocent black people lost their lives. This was just the deadliest. So, you know, we had to give it some spotlight, I guess. Yeah, because this is all about teaching parts of history that we didn't. Yeah, I, I learned about this uh, three years ago. That's yeah, it? Yeah, just three years ago. I didn't know about this before. Actually, what's funny is that uh, John Wooten, uh, I guess shout out John Wooten, uh, he, uh, he encouraged me to learn more about this. And if it wasn't for that, I probably would have known even less about this. So it's really, really, really swept. It's just now starting to get back into the spotlight with everything going on, yeah. uh, little by little. But And Watchmen did a really great, the first episode of Watchmen, if you want to see like what it would be firsthand in something like this. Mm-hmm. They do a great depiction of it. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, but that's, that's what race riots were. Like, it was just white people murdering yeah. innocent people. So, yeah. again, so, yeah. To to summarize, let's put it to you this way. Fuck America. If, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know anything, you'll fall for everything. Mm. Yes, yes. Don't let someone else control your narrative. Yeah. Right. Learn it yourself so that no one can trick you. Right. 
just please stay informed. Stay informed. And we have great resources here, and Chris left us a bunch of great resources as well. So if you need any sources for this, you can DM us um, on Twitter at FastPass1. You can email us at FastPassPodcast at gmail.com. If you have any other topics you want us to touch on, I bet you Chris would love to come back if you want him to touch on something too. Um, You can either DM us or email us as well because we would love to expand our knowledge as well as teach other people. All about learning. All about learning. Yeah. And until next time. Bye-bye.